it's fascinating to see this interplay of how deep emotional work can combine with other energy level work with these traditional systems and have such a transformational effect. Welcome to Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara. I'm your host, Dr. Tara, and I've been actively reinventing myself since I discovered the power of neuroplasticity. I have transformed myself personally, professionally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I'm here to show you that no matter your age or mindset, you can do it too. And because we're all about reinvention, season two is going to be quite different to season one. The episodes will be released weekly, and we've listened to your feedback and decided to go ad-free. There's a strong theme of ancient wisdom, which made me realize that the things we need to flourish in life, love, health, and work have been hiding in plain sight for millennia. I hope the season is as impactful for you as it is for me. In this episode, we'll be exploring insights from one of the premier getaways for physical, emotional, and spiritual transformation. My guest today is the Chief Operating Officer of a leading destination spa resort nestled in the foothills of a lushly forested mountainside, Ananda in the Himalayas. Ananda specializes in a perfectly balanced combination of ancient Indian philosophies with expert-led yoga, Ayurveda, breathwork, meditation, and other international wellness therapies. Our guest is a music enthusiast with training in classical music and has a passion for holistic wellness. Please welcome Mahesh Natarajan. Hello, Mahesh. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure, Tara. It's so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I remember when I asked you, you said, oh, I feel quite overwhelmed that you've asked me. And we have so many experts here, like Ayurvedic doctors and yoga teachers and, you know, people who are specialists in the Vedic texts. Um, you know, you sort of offered to put me in touch with some of them. And I would love to dive deeper with them maybe in season three. But what I really wanted for this episode was considering that our listeners might be people who've either never tried yoga or meditation, or they might be yoga teachers or people who have incorporated some Ayurveda into their diet and lifestyle. As the chief operating officer, you, of course, have to have a really good overview of everything that's on offer. And so I'd like to really sort of start at that top level and understand what's happening at a place like Ananda that is therapeutic for people, for their emotional healing, spiritual healing. But before we get into that, please could you set the scene and take us in our imagination to this beautiful, magical place? Because it sounds absolutely incredible. I have yet to visit, but I'm hoping that's going to happen sometime soon. Absolutely. And I'm hoping to have you there pretty soon. Uh, firstly, yes, I did feel um, when you asked me right at the beginning, a little overwhelmed, as you know, uh, just just because there's just so much to talk about. And um, a lot of that is uh, what our experts would feel very comfortable in doing. But then once we spoke, I, I did realize almost a sense of, yeah, that makes sense. Because um, you know how sometimes you almost feel like this so many things that have actually happened along your journey in terms of experiences and what's happened, your early upbringing. And, you know, it, it just feels like everything kind of which happened earlier just resonates with what I, where I am today and what I'm doing at Ananda today. So, yes, I, I do have 
Uh, I wear one hat, which is a lot more on, you know, looking after where we are today and where we go tomorrow. But on the other hand, and even personally, Ananda has kind of impacted me in a big way, um, mm. both from a, the passion for the wellness that I now come to share, but also just deeply in my own personal practices. So, yeah, I think uh, hopefully I'll be able to give you a sense of everything that we've been doing and also my own perspective of Ananda. But to start with the setting, as you as you put it, um, we all feel incredibly blessed to be in a place like this. Um, mm. This is, for those who haven't visited Ananda, this is in a place called Uttarakhand, that's the state in India where we're, where we're located. And the very translation of Uttarakhand is actually means the abode of the divine. Um, that's kind of wow. what it literally means. And the reason it's called that is because it just has so much of ancient history and culture and spirituality all embedded in this region. Um, this is literally where yoga was born. Uh, and where Ayurveda started as well. Uh, I'm not talking hundreds or even thousands of years ago. I'm talking millennia before where we are today. Uh, and the very story of how it all began, this is, we are seated now in the heart of the Himalayan foothills, and then it kind of expands on to other layers of the Himalayas as we go up higher and higher. And as you know, a lot of the ancient civilizations in many countries, they all started... Mm -hmm. from places of isolation, places where the original pristine rivers came through. And that's exactly where we are. So the river Ganges, which, as you know, Tara, is one of the most spiritual, holy rivers in India, it actually comes down from mm -hmm. the foothills and the mountains of the Himalayas. And the first place where it touches before it actually reaches the plains of India and then meanders all across North India before it empties into the Bay of Bengal, the first place that it actually touches in the mountains is this city called Rishikesh. It's a small town, actually. And that's where the whole story of Ananda begins. And the whole history of yoga literally started there. And these were taught to people around the town of Rishikesh by these sages, these monks who used to live in the higher regions of the Himalayas. And when they used to come down on certain uh, special occasions or festivals or religious uh, days, people used to notice that these were people who lived in high altitudes, wearing almost nothing. They were eating and surviving on almost nothing, but yet they seemed to be in the most incredible health, uh, uh, serenity and uh, a kind of sublime bliss almost radiating from them. And it was just incredible to see. And when the people around these foothills started asking them the secrets of their, uh, their incredible, uh, you know, uh, almost ageless form, that's when they would tell people about these practices that they had, um, which was controlling their breathing, doing certain postures, doing, getting into a deep state of trance and meditation. And, People were fascinated. And then they obviously asked them saying, please tell us about what you're doing and the secrets of this um, long life that you're leading. And that's how yoga actually started with the origins of these golden teachings. So you're going back long, long ago in time when you come to the region where Ananda is located. And that's why I say it's, it's one of the most spiritual, cultural places in ancient India going mm -hmm. back at least 5,000 years ago. And this is where ancient Indian civilization actually started. 
for me, it's always like a place which uh, every time I drive in or take a short flight and get into uh, Rishikesh or Dehradun, which is the local airport where we are, the energy changes. The the air feels different. Everything feels different. Uh, there's there's texts of Ayurveda, which also is a very ancient Indian tradition of uh, uh, wellness and well-being, which started here. Even today, if you think, if you look up some of the ancient roots and herbs and minerals that are used in Ayurvedic products all across the world, which is now so popular, you'll hear mm. terms like Ashwagandha and Brahmi and Sanjeevani and all of these fascinating things which have such curative properties. They're all found along the banks of the Ganges uh, in these herbs and, uh, you know, on the uh, around the rocks and minerals that where these are actually cultivated and brought into modern day um, uh, formulations. So there's a lot of history here. Um, a lot of the ancient tales and the stories about the various energies or the, the, the many thousand gods and goddesses that you hear about in India, they all come from this place. So this was kind of the only place where the founders of Ananda, when they thought about creating a wellness retreat, this was probably the only place that they felt would do justice to actually begin their journey. Uh, and that's that's why this place has so much special energy. And I was just sitting here listening to you and thinking that if your energy and your voice is any reflection of that place, which I'm sure it is because you've spent so much time there now, then it's a place I'm sure we would all want to go. Now, obviously, not everybody can practically make that happen. And we will come to some you know, tips that you found for your personal life and from what you've learned by working there that people can incorporate into their everyday life. But just before we... Um, move on from the place to, towards more what it has to offer. Tell us the story, what you told me about the grottos where the yogis used to meditate that, that are in the surrounding area, because I thought that was like fairy tale, uh, magical. Absolutely, absolutely. So all along the banks of the uh, upper regions of the Ganges River, as you go into the higher Himalayas, uh, you have these almost... Uh, I would say spiritually formed caves. That's the only way I can describe it because some, I've been in some of them. And these caves are said to have housed these monks and sages who have sat there not for a couple of days or weeks on end. They have sat there for decades of their lives meditating. And if if one hasn't done that, I know it's incredibly difficult to imagine what that experience would be like. Yeah. Uh, I've gone into a couple of them. And when you go inside uh, and sit down in some of these grottos and some of these cave formations, the opening of the caves forms almost a perfect sphere. And when the early light of the dawn actually comes in through the, that sphere, through the, that opening, I don't know how it always seems to be. Maybe the, the sages were just so... Um, uh, you know, they, they just had a feeling of where to go when they did their deep meditative practice. But this almost feels like this jewel shining through, uh, with all its spiritual energy. And, uh, I, I do meditate. I have spent some time trying to learn how to meditate. Uh, it's a lifelong journey. I can't say I'm anywhere near, uh, you know, advanced in that practice, but somehow when I go into these grottos, uh, even an hour spent there, you just lose complete sense of space, time. Your energy seems to be all swirling around and 
you just feel that somebody's been in here and has done this decades of meditation so in in ancient india we had this concept of these um uh, the, the people who actually created mantras uh, mantras were said to have been created by these sages not because they uh, they researched something and they thought through it and they wrote a mantra they are supposed to have just realized these mantras in deep stages of meditation sitting in these caves with the ganges river flowing below you uh absolutely pristine ganges river with white apps beautiful silver sands below you and you're sitting in this cave with that energy you can almost imagine why it is that these sages actually had these realization of these mantras um and it, that's why it has mm. such special energy it sounds like a psychedelic experience and i mean that in the proper sense of the word which actually means manifestation of your soul rather than psychedelic in the more modern meaning of the word. And so you've mentioned a few words which are related to philosophies such as yoga, Ayurveda, mantra, um, the Vedic texts we've mentioned. Could you just give us a little definition of what these things actually are and, and how they're incorporated into the retreats that people might come to at Ananda? Sure. Uh, and that's actually a very fascinating way of discovering the entire journey of somebody who follows a path of wellness um especially at ananda but even independently if you do it at home or wherever you're at um it takes you back into a the very essence of what was considered to be well-being or the path of well-being in in ancient india and that's what we're trying to revive and bring back today mm -hmm. the ultimate goal of well-being as it was understood in those days was always to reach a state of complete contentment not by renouncing the world but by being very present in today's world by being very dynamic in today's world but at the same time reaching a place of complete awareness consciousness mindfulness being spiritual all of these were the ultimate goal and i'm not talking about being religious i'm talking about being spiritual which is actually quite a mm -hmm. different thing Mm -hmm. and everything that one was doing was actually only a path to reach there um so that people have to understand that that's the end goal right so let, let's let's try and break that down a little bit because we have used quite a mm -hmm. few term terms today already so the the way it was understood at least the way the yogis understood it was that there are the hum, the human body is actually um consists of some very gross elements which are things that you can see and feel and touch and hear but there were also some very intangible elements which you couldn't mm -hmm. see feel or touch and hear um but the essence of life was actually in the intangible but the fact is that you have to go from the tangible to the intangible so the way the yogic process worked uh if you've heard of or if you're familiar with people might be with something like the yoga sutras of Pat patanjali and these teachings uh you always start with the physical body and these are beautifully explained in a concept called the koshas uh which actually kosha means sheaths uh, or layers and they're beautifully explained there where you start with the the most outermost kosha which is actually the physical body everything that we can feel the way we look the way we are when we are well the way we are when we are when we are unwell so that kosha is the first kosha which is the physical kosha 
And everything that we do at Ananda starts from there because unless you are able to address the physical body and keep you well, you can't do the rest of what you need to do. So that ability to address the physical well-being is where we start with Ayurveda, for example. Uh, it's a beautiful and comprehensive wellness science which uses therapies like full body um, therapies which detoxify you, which cleanse you, which um, uh, boost your circulation, which add immunity to you, uh, which literally make you feel like you're shedding your old layer of skin and donning on a new layer of skin. There's so many different ways in which therapy within Ayurveda is performed. So all of these things are working on your physical body. But hand in hand with that is a very important aspect in Ayurveda, which is food as a medicine food mm -hmm. as something that heals you. So that again works on the physical body. So within Ayurveda, once you start the process by analyzing who you are and what kind of constitution you have, which is which are called doshas, then mm -hmm. the rest of how Ayurveda works is going to be to everything that you do to balance your constitution, to get you in a state mm -hmm. of perfect harmony. So you're eating the foods which actually counterbalance any part of your constitution which is a little off, which is out of balance, if that's kind of a simple explanation to do. So if you have a mm -hmm. constitution which is very cold and dry and always flitting around, then you're going to be eating foods which are counterbalancing to that. You're going to be eating very warm, very nourishing, very uh, grounding foods. If you're another kind of constitution where you have a very high metabolic rate, where there's too much heat and fire in your system, then you're going to be eating the kind of foods which are counterbalancing to that, which are cooling, and they're going to be kind of settling you down and not allowing anything which is very acidic to form in your system. On the other hand, if you've got a very low metabolism body, if you're very lethargic, if you've got a lot of sluggishness, if you've got a lot of mucousy tendencies, then you're going to be advised to eat foods which are stimulating, which are boosting you, which everything that kind of counterbalances that and counters the basic tendency that you have. That's on the food side. And then obviously all the therapies that you're doing is also doing the mm -hmm. same thing. If you're somebody who's got a very high metabolism, then your therapies are going to be something that ground you, which relax you, which kind of calm you down. You might be doing a little more meditation. So all of this comes under the ambit of Ayurveda, which is actually impacting the first system, which is the physical body, right? Mm -hmm. Then from there, once you've addressed the physical body, you get on to something which is called the energy body. A lot of people haven't ever thought of ourselves as being an energy system. But that's a very important aspect. That's the everything that controls what's going on in our system comes from an energy. And in the yogic terminology, we call that prana. So the energy force or the life force that goes within us. Uh, so the important thing is to activate this prana, to activate it and keep it free flowing to remove all blockages. And one of the beautiful things that can activate prana is the breath. So in our yoga, in classical yoga, what we do through something called pranayama, which a lot of people are now getting familiar with, is to activate mm. this prana through control of the breath. Uh, as a lot of people are researching and getting to know now, when you know when you start feeling angry or when you start feeling anxious, you can feel your breath going faster, right? Mm -hmm. the, and yogis all figured out that the reverse is also true. When you 
can actually control your breath, you can actually control your emotions too. Mm -hmm. So this is the first step that you start at Ananda, using pranayama to control your prana, to control your energy. Yoga itself meant the union of the body and mind. So it's the perfect bridge between the physical body that you're addressing through Ayurveda and the prana, uh, which is the energy force. So we, we do a lot of yoga asanas or postures, mm -hmm. but a lot of people around the world are doing forms of yoga that they think is yoga, but that's actually only one small fraction of yoga that you do on a mat, uh, yeah. which are asanas. At Ananda, it starts a lot before that. I mentioned pranayama, but it also starts with something called shatkarmas, which are actually yogic cleansing practices, where you actually, these are highly technical practices that have to be done under guidance. And through this, we cleanse the entire system and make these energies free-flowing through the yogic cleansing practices. Um, sometimes it's cleansing of the upper respiratory tract. Sometimes you're drinking warm water and doing certain exercises, and that's another form of cleansing. But eventually, you're, the aim is to flush out all the toxins and then prepare yourself to get onto a mat and then do the postures or asanas. So it's there's a lot of things I I feel the way we address it at, at Ananda, which are very traditional. And if you go to any traditional ashram in India too, that's the way they would do it. Uh, you first cleanse yourself before you start getting into this activation of energy. Then comes the third sheath or the third layer, which is actually what we call the mental body or the the entire mental and emotional body. That That's where you know, you need to address that part. And a lot of that is done through meditation. And again, with meditation, uh, the way, whether it's mantras and meditation, there's a lot of preparatory work that one has to do for that. Um, it's commonly misunderstood that you first start, the reason why you meditate is to get, become calm. But actually, that's almost like putting the cart before the horse. You actually need to become calm first in order to meditate. And that's what all the yogis who are practicing classical meditation will tell you. So there's a lot of techniques that you learn to actually build your state of being calm, uh, sit in a position which is actually enabling you to, for at least that portion of maybe about half hour or one hour a day where you're able to withdraw your senses or withdraw yourself from external environments and senses, and then start becoming an observer of your thoughts. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about these things almost as if like these are instantaneous, but these take time. It's not something yeah. that you mastered in just a day or two days. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of guidance. And that's why we have yogis who are experienced, who come from a background of being yogis in an ashram for many, many years, who have the techniques to teach these practices. Once you've gone through the journey of meditation, uh, then you are ready to start getting into some deeper aspects of meditation like mantras. Mantras are essentially mystical sounds. Uh, they are, are, as I mentioned before, they are realized by these ancients who were realized people uh, who automatically figured that these combinations of mystical syllables, scalar sounds, combining breath, rhythm, and certain tones created a vibration within our body and those vibrations directly impacted our energy systems. They control the way our brain 
work. They control the way our physical systems work. So the deeper aspects of meditation is when you start getting into these mantras. So we do a lot of mantra chanting. And again, it doesn't matter if you understand it, don't understand it. It's not, that's not the key. It's just about focusing on these resonances, these vibrations and the impact that that has in your physical system. So that's mantra chanting. And then the next layer, and I'm just going layer by layer because it's, it is kind of a stage wise approach of how this um, process was done like so, so many years ago. The next layer is actually where we concentrate on what we call the Vigyanmaya or the intellectual self. Because once you've worked on your physical, the energy, the mental, then it's time for you to realize the true meaning of what you're trying to do, which essentially is the realization that we're all connected. Um, everything around you, the consciousness that's around you, uh, you are that consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. You have the power the moment you start using what we call the intellect over your mind, you have the power to actually create a path for yourself, which is the perfect combination of being incredibly dynamic, but perfectly contented. And that is the science of what we call Vedanta or the studies of the Vedas, which is some of the most ancient and incredible knowledge systems that's there any, any, in any place across the world. So that, that there's a lot of that going on. So, And then finally, of course, there is what we call the bliss body. And that's not something that you study. It's actually something that you experience once you've reached this level. So um, people who've experienced it have spoken about it. I don't think in this conversation I will be able to speak about it, but that's the ultimate goal. And the interesting thing, Tara, is that the very word for bliss, that final state, is actually Ananda. And Mm. uh, that is, I'm sure, what the creators of Ananda had in their mind when they were thinking about yeah. what to call this thing. So in summary, and I, I, it's it's kind of a long-winded explanation, but in summary, it's a journey. It's not going to yeah. happen overnight. It is coming from a very ancient knowledge source. But when you get onto this journey, it's such a fascinating journey. And it's all being done in a place which has this um, hidden treasure trove of spirituality. And uh, that's why it's such a fascinating thing. This is so fascinating and so important. I think, obviously, I think it's wonderful that things from our cultural heritage, like yoga and meditation, have come out so strongly into the rest of the world. But this was such an important reminder to someone like me or an eye-opener to people that hadn't heard about all the different layers before that, you know, if you're doing yoga poses and you're sitting down and doing meditation, even if that involves chanting, there's so much more to this than than you know what we might be doing on a day to day level, and even just with the you know the stages that you've mentioned, I, I'm already thinking of more that I could do in my daily life that will just bring in some more of those elements and not just focus on the you know the the time where where we're on our mat basically. Um, I was just wondering, listening to all this wisdom, what kind of person goes to Ananda? What? How long do they stay for? What sort of program do they go through and what do they take back home with them? So I know there's no typical guest, but maybe you could give us a few examples of the different sorts of reasons that people would present to to do a retreat at Ananda. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that's been changing over the years as well. Um, but what mm-hmm. I've been seeing in the past five to six years are that people have been coming to Ananda 
for a very wide variety of reasons. Um, when we started, it was uh, most people would actually come to Ananda more as a place of rejuvenation. Um, some uh, mm -hmm. people were just starting to realize and learn a little bit about Ayurveda as a very traditional Indian science. Uh, there were many people who had been practicing a style of yoga internationally. And so this was an opportunity to come to the source of where it all began and connect with a more traditional form of yoga and learn about that from our yogis because the yogis who are at, at Ananda are people who have come down from very traditional spiritual backgrounds and they've lived life of a yogi in an ashram. So that's a very different form of learning that you get there. So a lot of our clients would come in for something like that or for an Ayurvedic program. Increasingly now, I see many of our clients who are coming in for, you know, a much more deeper, immersive journey of self-discovery. And I think that's a big, big change that I've been seeing of late. Uh, what do I mean when I say that? Um, I'll give you some examples there. We have had clients coming in from all parts of the world who have reached a point in their life where they have almost come to a standstill. Um, they have been incredibly successful in whatever they've been doing, could have been at work, um, uh, leading in a, a company or being the head of an industry or or could have been just early stage entrepreneurs. There, there have been other people who've uh, just been very happy and contented doing what they're doing, but they reach a certain point where either the stresses of modern day life um, are have just kind of given them a sense that there's too much going on. They're not able to uh, get a grip on on what's going on. They they feel that things are moving too fast for them to actually create a a, a future path for themselves, uh, or it's just complete simple burnouts and um, mm -hmm. that that leads people to saying okay look i really need a reset for something like this and what can i do to come in and connect with yoga and meditation and uh, try and uh, just learn more about myself and create an alternative lifestyle so i would say a large part of the people who are coming to ananda are searching for this path of complete guidance uh, and a nurturing path which sets them uh, allows them to reset. Um, we also have a lot of um, our clients who are coming for something very specific. Uh, we have a range of uh, our guests who come in for chronic health issues that they've been struggling with for a long time. Uh, these mm -hmm. could be, you know, it, it could either be something like a musculoskeletal issue, like somebody's, you know, uh, just just a lot of pain or arthritic issues. You know, that could be one type of a client that we get. It could be somebody who's had a long-standing uh, digestive disorder or a respiratory issue. Uh, we've had a lot of people recently coming in for something like autoimmune um, aspects because that's just exploding in today's day and age because of all the pollution and the mm -hmm. environmental aspects and the lifestyle aspects. Um, I have tons of people who've, you know, trying to figure out a way by which they could correct their basic uh, everyday rhythms and sleep patterns. Uh, insomnia is something which is hugely on the rise. So we have a mm. lot of people coming in for that. Um, between young people as well as middle-aged people and even in the older segment, we have a lot of hormonal imbalances going on. Um, mm. A huge spate of uh, people, women coming in for uh, to address issues and symptoms which they're facing during menopause. Among younger women, we have uh, clients who are coming in for all kinds of uh, uh, menstrual health issues. So it's it's a very, very wide range of why people will come. But usually it comes down to a couple of things. One, it's either a chronic 
health problem or wellness problem that they know they've been unable to address using whatever they're following. And there's only a certain amount of pills that you can throw at a problem. Uh, at some point yeah. of time, you know that you're, you're, it's going to come back. You're just hitting the surface and you haven't done anything to address it from the root. So these are chronic health issues. The second big aspect, which I think is growing at an exponential rate right now, is our, our problems related to stress, uh, emotional issues. Uh, the three years of the COVID period has been incredibly mm -hmm. difficult for so many people, as we know, uh, yeah. whether it is deep stress, the isolation that people have been facing, uh, grief, trauma, everything kind of coming together. So there's this, mm. uh, it's almost like an, at an epidemic level, uh, what's going on there. And I feel that the, uh, beyond that, there's also a sense of wanting to really adopt a alternative, healthier lifestyle, only that it's not so alternative anymore. Uh, mm. This is now what people truly believe that they are here to do. And so we have, uh, we have people coming from all walks of life coming from all parts of the world and they're all searching for different things but once they come here they know that the the journey or at least they discover very quickly that the healing is actually within they have the power to actually do it we're we're only the conduits uh the experts who are here are just giving them certain paths to uh, to walk that uh journey uh it could be a very traditional Ayurvedic program that they get into. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. one of the most popular programs at Ananda is called the Panchakarma Ayurvedic program. And that's, uh, these are long stay programs. Uh, Panchakarma, for example, is for three weeks and that's the duration that you need to stay because oh, that's wow. the way you do it classically. Um, if they're doing a deep seated meditation based program, we have another one called the Dhyana meditation. That one's for two weeks. Uh, so I would say in general, most people are actually staying anywhere between about two to three weeks. Um, the majority would not stay for less than about 10 days in very rare occasions when if they're really compressed and crunched for time, uh, maybe starting a week, but that's very rare. More and more, like I see people coming in for two to three weeks. And the reason for that is that these programs, all they all work in in a phase-wise manner. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's let's take the Panchakarma program, for example. In classical Panchakarma, Panchakarma, by the way, is a very traditional Ayurvedic program. Panch means five, karma means action. So it's actually five different types of cleansing uh, action, which is almost working like a biopurification process. So when you do Panchakarma in India, the classical way, the first week, you're actually not doing too much by way of therapy. It's you're, you actually go through a process called oleation, where you're actually consuming certain herbal medicated ghees. And that, what that does is it goes down to the deep cellular level and it really can cleanses you at that deep cellular level. Mm -hmm. um, it's creating that perfect oleation structure or uh, biopurification process for your toxins to get flushed out. So it's mm -hmm. only in the second week where you actually start getting deep and flushing out all those toxins from your system. And then in the third week is when we you focus on putting back all those vital nutrients into your system. So for some of these programs to work, you really need that time, that kind of focus on yourself. And it's also a 
a great way for you to actually learn a lot more about your own body, about your mind, uh, because a lot of the work that you're doing is actually something which we call swadhyaya or self-study, whether it is learning about your dosha constitutions for Ayurveda or it is learning about how you are from a yogic system. It's almost like going to a small crash course university <laughs> for to understand yourself, right? Because that's where yeah. it all starts. Like I said, if if you can understand what your personal journey is there's no one size fits all here if you can understand what your what you are and where you need to be then it's so much easier for you to set that path very clearly for yourself and you have all mm -hmm. the guidance here for people to explain that to you so yes i mean there's a very wide range of these programs uh, most people stay for 2 to 3 weeks i'm also seeing a big jump in people trying to address specific emotional issues and mm. because of that one of the things that we've been doing especially in the past year is making sure that everybody who comes in on a program always has or starts off with a session with uh, an emotional therapist uh, because that's a very vital part of this entire journey to okay. address these deep suited uh, deep rooted sorry deep rooted emotional blockages that we all have sometimes we know we have them a lot of times we don't know that we have them mm. and that's actually a big barrier for the healing that can happen at the physical level as well and i've seen so many yeah. examples of of this arananda i i was going to ask you but you've kind of answered this already but maybe just to to back you up by saying that since the start of the pandemic i have seen so many more mental and emotional and spiritual issues than ever before so it was interesting that you said what you've seen in the last five or six years, and then perhaps there's been a shift in the last two or three years. Although two to three weeks sounds like a big commitment, something that's affected you for two or three years or five or six or your whole life, yeah. it's got to take at least two or three weeks to just even reset that for you to go forward and, and do things differently. Um, not saying that people can't incorporate some of these things into their life, um, like the way that they eat or, you know, the way that they think about detoxifying their body. But, yeah, it's really about understanding that the length of time a problem has been in your life, it's got to take some length of that time of, to undo that problem. Sure. And Absolutely. I like the way you say it's like taking off, you know, your outer skin and kind of donning a new kind of version of yourself. The whole cell renewal, resetting, reinvention is very much, you know, part of what I'm interested in. And I have noticed in the time that I've known you that the importance of this emotional therapy has has become much more to the forefront. You know, I think quite a few years ago, it was much more the traditional Indian wisdom and therapies yeah. that were available. And now we've kind of realized that if these emotional blockages aren't dealt with head on, that there's perhaps a limit to how much the physical and the intellectual um, therapies can actually have an effect if that blockage is, you know, there from childhood and still really deep. So tell us a bit more about, because, you know, as with my background as a psychiatrist and, and in this season of the podcast, I'm specifically really interested in how various cultural wisdoms and philosophies can apply to modern mental health struggles. Tell us a bit more about examples of the emotional um, healing that people are, are coming for or, you know, what they're taking away with them from that. Absolutely. And and Tara, you, you've put, put it so beautifully in terms of your books and uh, conversations that we've had in the past in terms of how 
the whole aspect of neuroscience and the emotional therapy and what you can do from being following a more mindful path uh, mm-hmm. has such a big impact on the way we are uh, all the things that have built up over a period of ta- period of time and how we kind of our whole frame of reference for our interactions uh, that changes and how we look at the entire world but interestingly what we've noticed at ananda uh, and we've spoken about this before as well is people tend to almost compartmentalize emotions as saying that okay this is an emotional issue one of the things that we, which is uh, something that we're noticing all the time is how closely these emotional issues actually are connected with physical issues and mm. you know you really can't there's no way to actually put them in neat little boxes and say I'll take care of one without the other and we're seeing more and more evidence of how uh this has come to stay and and people are just about starting to understand the deep interplay between them uh let me mm-hmm. let me take up an example which is kind of fresh in my mind because this was a a, a guest from just a couple of months ago a person you know who came into india from uh, from one of our uh, uh, the western countries um he had a long standing problem of what i would describe as postural issues uh mm-hmm. because when our experts examined him he displayed like a classic rounded back um a very weak upper back very stiff areas you know something that you would usually say okay this is work related uh, posture right uh, mm-hmm. uh but also kind of lack of joint mobility and you know all of these classic things uh but then we started digging deeper and we said hey like you know there's also we're also noticing things like poor breathing patterns and it it it's all started kind of coming together a little bit and then when when we started doing some work from the emotional consultation side we started sensing a lack of uh you know balance lack of peace um clarity of thought some you know he himself said like i often have a lot of anger issues there's a lot of work related trauma uh, i'm just usually very emotionally distant so you know all of these things what you normally say okay this could be a separate issue this could be a separate issue mm-hmm. we started looking at all of these as completely integrated between all of them and then we started the the teams at ananda the yogis the emotional therapists the ayurvedic doctors we started putting all of that together uh and working on uh this as one integrated protocol um some of the things that we did of course from yoga was just simple asanas pranayama which is breathing techniques we went through shakarmas which i spoke to you about earlier which was just a complete cleansing of the system first because all of these had a direct impact on his breathing as well as on on all the postural issues but it actually opened up energy channels for the emotional healers to come in and start working on him so then what they started doing was a lot of traditional techniques whether it was like a aura scan uh, energy balancing some inner child work because he did talk about being very emotionally distant from an early age there was some work related trauma so some lot of work was done on trauma release and then that was combined with some specific yogic work whether it was yoga nidra which some people on uh, who listening to this might be aware of where you actually do a complete body scan and visualization and create a certain resolve for the future uh the other techniques were things like ajapa japa which is a subconscious technique of meditating a certain mantra but what it does is it allows all these deep rooted um uh, tendencies these deep rooted emotions to again come to the surface which then would be 
taken on by the emotional therapist and worked on this integrated approach i within about 2 to 3 weeks i have to say i was just amazed at what the outcome was this whole physical issue of a rounded back Uh, just in degrees i would say by the guest's own admission improved by a degree of almost 75% uh, much more ah. than that maybe the breathing patterns because we would we were able to measure all of these right the length of the breath the stability of the breath the shallowness of the breath how that changed uh the yogis who were analyzing this said it had a dramatic shift of almost 30% and by the end of this program he said i have a dramatic reduction in just negative thoughts my uh, uh small things that would trigger an immediate irritability an immediate sense of anger that just is not there anymore and mm. i just have this huge level of clarity in what i want to do the way i want to be so it's fascinating to see this interplay of how deep emotional work can combine with other energy level work with these traditional systems and have such a transformational effect uh and i mentioned this because this was a case which actually um came up just a couple of months ago and i was just thinking to myself wow like no this is this is this knowledge if people had saying that don't approach everything just from saying if i do this better physically i'll be better overall you you have to have a much more uh comprehensive approach a much more integrated approach and uh, there are all of these ancient sciences the traditional sciences are are available like it's the knowledge is out there right it's you don't have yeah. you don't have to search for them you just you just need the right guidance yeah i mean i'll say to you that in 2008 when i changed career from being a doctor to starting to do coaching i worked a lot within financial services where so many people were having heart attacks from stress at the time of the financial crisis and i was working in different areas of of various banks and it came up like there's an issue with like people's cardiac health and then separately there's an issue with stress and i said no no they're not separate issues they're the no. same issue and you know these these issues are absolutely interrelated and because this is like you know 15 16 years ago that wasn't understood um and i wasn't allowed to do the work in the way that i would want to but i will say now that since the pandemic that more than ever i am working on people's physical symptoms as a manifestation of a emotional or mental issue not as a physical issue you know in itself right um and it's quite gratifying to be able to do that work but it's also really interesting that people are accepting that as the first possible explanation much more than they were 10 15 years ago so and then like you say the answer is out there the answer's been out there for tens of thousands of years but people first have to accept that that's all interrelated and that's the beauty of the vedas and yoga and um ayurveda this this interrelationship of physical mental emotional and spiritual you've given us so much amazing wisdom and knowledge that i'm sure will you know help people to really maybe question their practices and take them a bit deeper um and i'm sure people are going to re-listen to this episode several times but i'm curious on a more personal level about your own background you know which of these practices you were raised with what brought you on your journey to the place and the job that you're in today and what which of things that you've discussed that you actually have in your own personal practice Ah uh, yeah that's a takes me back in time to a much earlier uh day and age um like i was saying at the beginning of our talk tara um sometimes it's almost um 
you know, it's it's fascinating to switch back in time and think there's so many things that happened earlier on which have all led to where you are today. Mm. And I truly, mm. truly have come to believe now that that was the way it was in my case. Um, so my early childhood was in Tamil Nadu, uh, in, in a place called Chennai in the southern part of India. And uh, in my family, there was a lot of these kind of what today I recognize are everything that is connected with me now as well-being, but I didn't know it at that time. But the, the, it was all there as part of my childhood. So I grew up in a very musical family. Uh, my uh, it, it was a family of uh, music and culture and art, and I'm, I'm really blessed to have had that early upbringing. So, uh, for example, on my mother's side, there was a, a, this was all classical uh, music, so Carnatic music, which is part of w what we grew up with in South India. Um, so the uh, mm -hmm. on my mother's side, there was a uh, composer uh, who actually was quite well known. Um, that was uh, her grandfather was actually very well known for composing uh, big pieces and and um, a series of classical Carnatic music. On my father's side, like there was a, a professional musician who used to actually perform in uh, in in his times in the courts of uh, some of the uh, uh, the traditional royal houses in Tamil Nadu. Uh, my mother and he, her cousin, who was my aunt, they were actually uh, professional dancers, uh, uh, classical uh, dancers of a dance form called Bharatanatyam, which is a very traditional South Indian dance form. So music and dance and arts, I think that's something I really grew up with. But beyond that, I also grew up with a lot of um, mantras, uh, celebrating um, shlokas, which are also very traditional Vedic chants. Uh, it, that was going on a lot at home. Uh, not that I would, you know, be a part of that, but I was always a keen observer. Um, and that's how I grew up. So when I was growing up, uh, as is very common in a traditional South Indian setting. Uh, one fine day when you're about eight or nine, you just come back home from school and you're just introduced to somebody who says, okay, this is your music teacher. He's he's going to teach you this traditional form from here on. And you don't have really a say in that. Uh, of course, I was a regular kid of eight or nine and I protested and I was really grumpy about it. But when <laughs> I look back, so much of what I know now, my passion for this space and whether it's mantras and everything, they all came from then, like, uh, from, from, from a very early upbringing. Um, and that, that's what kind of what connects mm. me to these classical art forms in a lot, in a, in a big way. Uh, the other side was that we also had a lot of these things we know now as alternative forms of healing or, um, Ayurveda and yoga, it, it all used to be there at, in some form or the other. Uh, I remember till I think the time when we were well into our early teens, um, you know, all of the things that we used even to, to wash ourselves and take a bath or everything, these were all like traditional powders and soaps and those kind of mm. things. It, there was, there was nothing packaged. There was nothing from outside because it was a different time. And I think I grew up with a lot of that. And, um, then of course, like, you know, we, I went through uh, the next 30, 30 odd years of, you know, not maybe just being in a different time zone, but now I've started realizing the value of all of that. And I've kind of mm. almost, kind of been trying to take myself back into something similar now. So anyway, that was my early, early uh, upbringing. I had absolutely no clue that I would 
finally land in a place like Ananda and follow this path of being so closely connected to well-being, my own journey went through quite a typical uh, kind of career, a uh, degree in economics, uh, in business administration, a uh, business degree, and then you know, uh, for some time I spent in luxury hospitality and um, working with a, um, a brand called the Oberoi Hotels, which a lot of people are very familiar with in India, a luxury brand. Mm -hmm. And after that, I spent a lot of years uh, in a very, very different kind of very mainstream corporate work environment, looking at being a marketing professional, a brand and communications professional. And that's, that's how I kind of grew. Um, 2008 is when I actually connected with the founder of Ananda, uh, Ashok Khanna, and something about what this was, what the brand was doing, the future of what this could do, uh, it just clicked. Um, and I said, you know, uh, I'm going to give it a shot. Let's see where it goes. The first few years, I, it just took me some time to get to grips with what this was, but very quickly it started growing on me. And so... Gradually, what started out as maybe the next stage of my career turned out into a, a real passion project for me. And slowly, it started kind of playing a much larger role in my life. Um, I have traveled the world speaking to people in the area of well-being, uh, practitioners, um, uh, luminaries, people who are deep into the science and the tradition of it, you're like yourself. Uh, and, and this is what drives me. I mean, this is the fact that I'm able to have something that I'm so passionate about and yet call it a job. Uh, that's, that's just, you know, it's incredible. It's I can't believe this yeah. is what I'm doing. It's a blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah. but on a personal, on the personal front, I think what I've learned, uh, everything that we've spoken about in the earlier part of this talk has actually had a big impact on the way I've changed my lifestyle. Mm. Uh, and it's not that I'm so, um, you know, it, it, overwhelmed by it that, you know, I, uh, you know, every single thing of what I do has to be backed by some kind of a scientific basis or, or uh, you know, that kind of an approach. I, what I find is that now that I have the basic knowledge of, for example, from an Ayurvedic point, what is my own body constitution? I know I'm a mm -hmm. uh, kind of a pitta body. So I know I have to do certain things to keep myself, you know, always in, in a balanced state. I know there are certain things that I should avoid. Um, I know that I shouldn't uh, have too many acidic things because that's not good for me. I, I you know, I, this is the, the basic knowledge that helps me a lot. Um, something that I've built into my day-to-day -day practice and that's something that the yogis at Ananda will always tell you. It's not about the time that you spend. It's about the regularity that you practice that discipline with. So even if it's just a 15-minute, 20-minute practice that you build into your life every day, that makes a huge, huge difference. Mm. One of the things that personally fascinate me and I totally connect with is actually mantras and the chanting of mantras. Uh, for me, that is meditation. Mm. That is one of the highest forms of meditation mm. that I personally practice. Um I do it every day. Uh, the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning um, is actually just sit with my mala and do my chants. And the way it starts my day and the way it opens up the possibilities of what can be, I I don't think I can 
imagine a day without it now uh, it's not been like that always but yeah. that's the way it is now yeah um and, and and i think it's just taught me this sense of um after many years uh, taught me the sense of um just appreciating things around um looking at things in moderation uh, i think these are just simple aspects of ayurveda yoga that have played a big part of my life uh, i just value that i've been able to pick it up along the way and i uh, have built it into my everyday and the bigger part of what i really treasure is that i'm able to you know spread this and i'm able to talk to a lot of people and you know create a sense of curiosity um there are experts far far beyond beyond what i can share who would be able to take people deep into this knowledge but i think uh i'm thankful for the fact that i'm able to share a little bit of this and create a sense of curiosity among people to come in and explore a little bit more that's 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 the way i would live it and and every aspect of this uh resonates my uh, you know early connection with music i think music is also a huge part of the way we heal um we spoke about mm-hmm. it a little bit earlier i think in terms of how even from a neuroscience perspective uh how music can actually alter states of your being and actually it can be a healing science mm-hmm. by itself so yeah i'm just really curious about all these things and i try and build it a little bit of each each of them into my day to day life yeah um there's so many little things i want to pick up on here one is that in the time that i've known you and interacted with you which i think was at first on an instagram live yes um during the pandemic and then when i met you in london that your passion for these topics really comes across and you know i'm grateful if my platform has allowed people to learn from you because i think that you know that that passion and these stories are so important to, and you know potentially so helpful for people but as a neuroscientist it's cuz cuz i knew about the luxury hospitality and i kind of knew about the music but i didn't know about the economics and the business so that was a bit of a surprise so you've been on a bit of a journey but it's just making me think like similarly to me that we've you know we've come back to our cultural heritage i'm also really interested in other cultural heritages but you know the vedas are some of the oldest texts that exist in the world and a lot of other um philosophies and including religious philosophies actually come from those originally So I'm just wondering if this is a journey whether it you know or I was going to say from our culture but obviously we've had very different lives my parents moved to England I was born in London so I had to integrate with you know a different kind of culture whilst maintaining my family culture you grew up in South India you're now in North India but we both kind of went away but then came back to you know to the kind of the beginning and I'm just wondering if this is a journey for our listeners as well I'd be really interested to hear from people um I'm having a guest on the podcast who has um learned and 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 you know immersed herself into Sufi mysticism but comes from a completely different white Christian background. So I think it's not always necessarily your own culture that you return to but it's some kind of spiritual oh, absolutely. um path but with the you know really strong background with music, dance and chanting in your childhood which I was going to say if you didn't say it already you know is so healing and and I'm sure that's to do with neuroplasticity which is that it was so much a part of your environment when you were growing up and my biggest wish for people listening to this podcast would be that they find their thing that is their form of meditation that changes their life and it could be so many different things and that's why I love speaking to people from just 
such different backgrounds. And I just want to say, uh, you know, the, the the final thoughts that you had are so so true. Um, it is not. It, there is no one path to reaching that point where you feel that this is something mindful. It could be any individual thing, anything that kind of. Mm. Uh, and I also think because of my personal experience with mantras in my case, anything that can actually ground you in the present, it could be painting, it could be music, it could be just just something which is like you said, it's so much to do with neuroplasticity, but anything that could actually keep you in the here and now and just get absorbed in the beauty of the here and now. Uh, mm. That's the feeling I have when I am chanting mantras. Um, there's this... Uh, no other way I can define it. Uh, and and just to kind of, uh, I know I'm, uh, you know, adding a few points on this, but the, okay. mantras was actually a tradition from, uh, it was an oral tradition. It, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't read it from a book. It was what your mm -mm. guru teacher actually recited and you just heard him or her, and you re recited yeah. after them, and you just kept doing this and doing this and doing this, still it became part of your muscle memory, it became part of your uh, very existence. And when you're mm. going through that process, there is actually nothing else, everything else fades into you know, non-existence, and you're just completely in the here and now, and once you get it, the beauty of it just kind of grows on you. And you could do that with anything. You could You could do yeah. that uh with you know it could be an art it could be just an immersive process it could be just a small hobby it could be anything that you want to but i hope listeners to this would appreciate how beautiful that can be they will please tell us where people can find out more about ananda and can follow you know follow ananda to to learn more about these things that you've mentioned like for example on instagram or you know wherever right. you think that there's the most to be learned from social media yeah you can get onto our uh, website has a lot of content about uh, who we are and what we do which is anandaspa.com uh, within that, there's actually, uh, besides the, all the programs that we do, we, uh, there's also a lot of interesting content. And this is just education that people can actually uh, read to understand more about all these different aspects. And that's a well-being blog that we uh, showcase on on Ananda. So that's a separate section, which I think people will find most interesting. Uh, online, of course, where uh, Ananda and the Himalayas, both on Instagram as well as on LinkedIn and uh that that's always a very valuable resource. We've got so many different conversations. We've our conversation is on there, Tara. Uh, that uh, our uh, Instagram live uh, on IGTV. That's that's yeah. that's up there. But besides that, there's so many other uh, interesting conversations that we've had with experts in on all different fields of what we do. Uh, so yeah, I think there's mm -hmm. there's quite a few resources that people can actually get to to learn a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much again. Um, and I hope to see you soon again in London or India. At Ananda, <laughs> which would, would be absolutely that. wonderful. Thank, thank you, Tara. Thank, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a real pleasure. I feel like we did last time that we could have just kept on talking. Uh, but <laughs> it's a real treat. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you have a question or comment for me, please email or send an audio recording of your question to drtara at knox.studio. This has been Reinvent Yourself with Dr. Tara, a Knox Studios podcast. <laughs>